Evening family, let's uh, read God's word together. So we are going to be reading Joshua chapter 4, the whole of the chapter, and then chapter 5 verse 1. So it's on page 218 of the Bibles in front of you and on the screens, I think. So Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he'd appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they're there to this day. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they'd stood in awe of Moses. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant Law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And no sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran in flood as before. On the tenth day of the month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they'd taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. 
Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Thank you, Katie. That was uh, beautifully read. A very exciting story, isn't it? Let's just um, pray as we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's, it's a living word. It's spoken through countless generations. And Lord, our prayer is that it would speak to us tonight. May we hear the voice of God speaking to our hearts. May we sense and know your presence. And may we be stirred. And may we too give thanks to you, realizing afresh your great power, your great goodness to us, your children. Amen. So if you've got um, your Bible open, keep it open at Joshua chapter 4. And some of um, you older folks here might have thought, well, what's happened to that second set of stones? That surely in this story, there were were two lots of stones. There was one that was placed in Gilgal, and there was another set of stones that was placed in the middle of the Jordan. Where have they gone? And I just want to, before I, I open up the passage, I just want to explain what has happened. The, and it's in verse 9. If you look at verse 9 there, it said, Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they're there to this day. The, the translators of the new NIV and others too have take, taken that to mean that, what, that, what they've said. But other translators have translated it that, that, they, that, that, that the people came in and they set up another lot of stones in the middle of the Jordan. So if you're wondering where the stones have gone, the translators have decided to take them out for this translation. And it, and it doesn't make any difference to our understanding of the passage at all. But it's, um, it's interesting to know. Some of you older ones will say, well, where, where's the pile of stones that was in the middle of the Jordan? They're in other versions of the scriptures. So what we have before us this evening is, is a long narrative. And, and chapters 3 and 4 are, are a narrative together. It's, it's a unity. What we had last week is continued this week. And it's repeated in, 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 and it's looked at it in greater detail. And, and, and chapters 3 and 4 tell what really is the, the thrilling story of the people of Israel crossing the Jordan River. It's one of those like stories. Katie read it so well, you, you want to kind of hold your breath. You know, the, the river at flood is, is held back. And, and there they all, they hurry across. I bet they did. And then the priests were standing there with the Ark of the Covenant, the, this, this wooden box on the, on the long poles, waiting until Joshua commanded them to come out. And then as soon as the, 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 they came out, then, the, then the, the water came back. And it was an exciting moment. I think we can sense that for the people of Israel. It was a, a, their desert wanderings are over. They're about to enter the promised land. The manna in the next chapter is about to stop. They're going to eat some, some real food, decent food. The, the, the heavenly um, frosties are kind of ending for a while, and they're going to get the real food, the luscious food of the land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's an exciting time, and all that this generation of people that have been longing for praying for and heading towards is about to happen. This is it. 
We're going to go into the land promised for generations. We are the ones to enter in. And, and last week, Ben told us of, of the final hurdle to be overcome. The, 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 the raging, the swollen torrent of the River Jordan in full flood. And maybe some of you have been to the River Jordan and been to this spot. Now it's a gentle flowing, quite a narrow little river. In Joshua's days, it wasn't like that. It was a raging torrent. Some of the commentators and the experts said it could have been a mile wide or even more. It was terrifying, and it was deep in the valley, and they looked down, and it would have been boggy and squelchy, and how are we going to cross? There's the promised land. There's us. How are we going to get across? And, and as Joshua stood and the people stood looking down, they must have thought, well, this is impassable. But God worked a miracle. And in chapter 3 and verse 5, Joshua says, The Lord will do amazing things for you. And the Lord did. And Joshua instructed the people to get ready to cross, explaining, explaining to them that as soon as the priests entered the water, the waters would stop. They back up some 20 miles back further up the stream. And, and that's what was going to happen. So as soon as the priests carrying this Ark of the Covenant, this, this visual representation of the presence of God, the Ark stood for God. God was going in the midst of the Jordan, and God would stop the waters from flowing. And they went in, and as soon as their feet touched, touched the water itself, the water stopped. And the people, God is doing an amazing thing. He did it, exactly as he said he would. And they entered the, the river and its waters would stop and they would cross over on dry ground. I, I think that, that little phrase, dry ground, kept, keeps being repeated throughout this passage. And I think that's as good a, a great a miracle as almost the water stopping. Because those of you that know, when, it, when it's been raining for a long time in like flooded river areas, it's squelchy and squishy and squashy, isn't it? You've been after it's rained. So we go for a walk up on the downs? I think we might give it a miss because it's just... It's boggy, it's slippy, and everything. But this scripture tells us that they crossed over on dry ground. It was quite an easy crossing for them. So God had worked that miracle, and and that's exactly what happens. And that brings us to the end of chapter 3, verse 17. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And there they were, heading off and entering into the promised land. In chapter 4, it's this, the story is kind of repeated, but, but in greater detail, 12 men are chosen, from one from each tribe, to, to go back into the dry riverbed, and, and each to collect a stone. Not, not a little pebble that they could put in their pockets. I imagine that they were quite big stones to make a monument, maybe put them on their shoulders, and maybe there were strong men that they chose to, to collect these stones out of the center of the River Jordan, and, and to take them from where the priests are standing in the middle. And they're to take these stones to the campsite at Gilgal, and to make a memorial, a monument, a pile of the, these 12 stones, why? What, what's the purpose of that? The narrative tells us why it was done. Their purpose is to be a sign, a reminder for future generations of this amazing act of God. 
You can imagine the kids saying, Dad, what, what, are, what are these stones? Or, or visiting Gilgal for some reason, maybe to meet Samuel the prophet or whatever. And, and there they were, and, they, and then their dad said to them, they're Joshua's stones. These are the stones. And the kids said, what, why, why are that pile of stones there? Tell me, Dad. Tell me, Granddad, what, why those stones are there. And, and here in this passage, they are already told what they should say to their children, to their children's children. What are these stones? These stones were taken out of the middle of the Jordan River. When your ancestors crossed over into this, our promised land, God himself stopped the flow of the river and dried up the ground, just as he did for the Red Sea. And here is the evidence. Here's the stones. Look at them. They're there today. It really happened. Here is historical evidence that what what Joshua said was going to happen did happen. And the promised land they entered into. And telling the kids, tell us, Dad, tell us more. And they said, when we came out of the river, then as soon as the priests had come out, whoosh, the river came back. It's a great story, isn't it? There's a real excitement in it. And and that's the narrative of the whole passage. But but what lesson is it to teach us here in the 21st century? What, What lesson is it to teach people down through the centuries? We don't have to guess. It's there in, in verse 24. Verse 24 gives us the, the, the application, the reason for this narrative. And it's a, it, what is the lesson that it's teaching? Verse 24, he, God, did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord. Two applications, two so that's. In, in verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. That's the first, so that. Second one, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. It's very applicable to us, isn't it? Centuries and centuries, millennia later on. So let's look for a while this evening at the application and let's apply it to ourselves. First, well, the first, so that, He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. All the peoples of the earth includes us here this evening. So this word applies to us, that we might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And question number one is, do you know that? Have you experienced the powerful hand of the Lord? Are you aware that our God's hand is powerful? It's beyond our wildest dreams powerful. So as I, as I face this congregation here this evening, various faces, various ages, those online that I can't see, what difficulties, what anxieties, what fears are we facing? What, 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 what Jordans, as it were, are there for us that, that think this is impassable? We, we know from our church situation, don't we, as a church, This is a difficult time. How are we going to get through this? How are we going to cope? Many of you have have, have, uh, maybe, I think, in a situation in your lives. How am I going to cope with this from the youngest through to the oldest? I I stand at the brink, as it were, looking into into old age, and I think, oh, my goodness, I'm not quite sure about this. This looks like pretty uh, a difficult passage to go through. Now, at the moment, I've got my health and strength, but you see old age coming along. It comes a bit clearer when you're 68, which sounds old to some people, but, but to other people, no, 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 that's young. So we, lots of things, problems within the family, personal problems, deep things. We need not to look at our problems and our difficulties 
Yes, they are difficult. We do have problems, almost too much to bear. But we need to look up to God, who is powerful. He is able to do amazing things, able to work the impossible, as it seems, as a church and as an in, in individual. So, so the application of this sermon tonight is, is one of, of comfort. God is powerful. And you think, oh, that, that just can't apply to me. It is, it does. It's to all generations that this, we, God wants us to know that. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to lean upon him, whatever our difficulties, problems, anxieties might be. He is able to help us in our time of need. So point number one, the hand of the Lord is powerful. Take that home with you tonight. As you pray through your problems or whatever, or your family's problems, the hand of the Lord is powerful. Lord, your hand is powerful. Show it to me. Show it to me. And the Israelites are, are, are about to face some serious difficulties. They need to know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Jericho being one of the problems, as soon as they come into the promised land, it's not as though it's just it's easy peasy from now on. We know from the story of the, the Israelites that no sooner are they in the promised land, a few days later, they have to take Jericho. Now, Jericho's walls fell down, and we know the story of that, but every city wasn't like that. They were, they were to fight some fearsome battles. They were to, to face some fearsome warriors. Goliath was in there, and there was one or two other Goliaths as well. They had to be brave. They had to be strong. But they needed to know that the hand of the Lord, their God, was powerful. So the serious difficulties that they were about to face, they could combat with this knowledge that God is powerful. And he is with us wherever we are. The Lord had said to Joshua in chapter 1, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, because I am with you. I'm sure there are many here who can testify to God's powerful hand. They, some of these little sweet old ladies, old men, whatever, that you, you listen to their stories and you think, wow. And they, they're able to say, yes, I, I know what you mean, Phil. I've experienced God's powerful hand. I've been through difficulties and problems. You, you probably wouldn't even believe it. And yet I experienced God's powerful hand. It's lovely when we do experience it. It's ooh, It almost takes us by surprise and it shouldn't because we should pray for God's hand to be with us. And it's merciful and it's gracious and it's undeserved. But we should look for God's mighty hand in our, in our lives, in our situations, and in our church situation too. Because he is with us, always. Never leave us, never forsake us. He will bring us through. So many here can testify to that. Speak to them. John Newton spoke of that in one of his hymns. He said, No strength of our own or goodness we claim, yet since we have known the Saviour's great name, in this our strong tower, for safety we hide. The Lord is our power. The Lord will provide. So application number one, the hand of the Lord is powerful. Application number two, the second, so that. So that you might always fear the Lord your God. Knowing God's powerful hand leads to a holy and a reverent fear of God. Always not just part of the time, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. In all circumstances of life, through all the changing scenes of life, as my granny used to sing that old hymn, God is with us, good and bad. We need to trust 
in God's powerful hand. A fear and trust that, that leads to submission. A reverent, holy submission that is pleasing to God. Literally just sitting at his feet and trusting him. Trusting our situations to him, our families to him, our lives to him. It's a confidence in the truth that God is powerful and that he is always there for us, his children. Another question, do you believe that? Do you live in such fear, such reverent fear? Not frightened fear, but holy fear of God. Do you expect him to work in your life? Do you worship him? for his powerful hand. In chapter 5, verse 1, we read that um, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear. That's not reverential fear, that's really being scared fear. Their hearts melted in fear for they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Our hearts should melt in the knowledge of this, not in frightened fear, but in reverential fear, in love for our God who so cares for us and is so on our side that we can trust in his power. Now, these Old Testament stories are our lessons to teach us. They're shadows, they're types. We are the spiritual descendants of these ancient Israelites. We are the people of God. We are the people who belong to him. And God is leading us into a a promised land. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. These lessons and these real historical events in the Old Testament are shadows and types of the reality that, that the Lord Jesus Christ made very clear to us. He is the Joshua. He is the savior that saved his people, that brings them into the true promised land. So we can draw parallels from this passage. We must cross over into the real promised land. That's conversion. That's salvation. It doesn't happen automatically. We need to cross over into the promised land. The the, the religious leaders of Jesus' time were cross with Jesus because the tax collectors and the prostitutes were, were listening to what he said. And Jesus rebuked them saying, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. They were entering the kingdom of God by believing, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were crossing over from this world into the eternal world. And and that's the lesson here. We have a promised land to enter. And Jesus Christ is able to help us to enter that promised land. So we must cross over into the real promised land. You must be born again, said Jesus to Nicodemus, one of the great religious leaders at the time. Secondly, we must remember how that crossing over has been made possible. The Jordan River was impossible to cross, but God made it possible, didn't he? He stopped the waters flowing. The ark stood in the middle of the river and the water was held back. Well, how do we make that crossing over? It was by the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What stones do we look to? It's the stones of the bread and the wine, isn't it? We are to do that in remembrance of him, our Lord, who died in our place. We remember him when we take communion. And because in Christ, we pass through death. We we are raised to life in Christ. We died with him. We're raised with him into this new life, this eternal life. Thirdly, we, we must take possession of the promised land. Entering in is our conversion. We are born again by God's spirit. 
then like Joshua and the people of God, we need to take possession of it. I think sometimes we stand there far too long deliberating what we're going to do. We need to take possession of the promised land. And, And like these ancient Israelite people, we'll soon discover it's a battle in which we fight the good fight of faith. We need to keep pressing on to take hold of the life that we've been given to us in Christ. We need to realize that God is with us. He's helping, he's leading, he's delivering us. We need to rest on that leading of God, rest on that deliverance of God, rest on that power of God, not giving up. God is with us, trust in that. And we need to know too that our enemy is defeated. He seems strong, he seems mighty, but our God is greater. In all things, we are more than conquerors. And our ultimate hope is beyond this life. It's into the, in the life to come when the Lord Jesus returns. Christ has made it possible. He has made it possible. He stands as our priest, making an impossible way possible. You might think, oh, Phil, you don't know me. It's impossible that I could come to know Christ. All this Christian stuff, that I long to have it, but you know what? I'm just too much a sinner. Can't happen to me. I've left it too long, too late. Christ has made it possible for everyone to enter into the promised land, the true promised land. So can I ask you, are you, are you up to enter in? Are you up to cross over into the promised land? Jesus Christ, our high priest, stands not in, in the middle of the Jordan, but he stands in the middle of death, as it were. He holds back not the river, but he holds back the wrath and the anger of God that we might pass through and never have to face that. He is our saviour, he is our Joshua and our Lord. So do you know the powerful hand of God in your life? Graham Kendrick said in one of his songs, the price is paid, come let us enter in to all that Jesus died to make his own. For every sin more than enough he gave and bought our freedom from each guilty Stain. The price is paid. Come, let us enter in. Enter into our promised land. It pleases God if we do to know his powerful hand and his forgiveness. So may we all know, those here this evening and those watching online, and the preacher too, that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that we might always, always fear him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you ask us to do two things this evening. To know that your hand is powerful and that we might always fear you. Help us by your spirit, we pray, to enter into that promised land and to live the life that is truly life. For Jesus' sake and glory we pray. Amen.